The text read by Pastor Roman is called the High Priestly Prayer. High Priestly Prayer. What is the High Priestly Prayer? What's a high priest? Israel in her history, by tradition, had about 78 high priests. High priests. A stand between. The priests were gifts from God. Men, sinners, like all men. And yet from the line of beginning with Aaron and on, they would have a specific role that they would fulfill. Among other responsibilities, on the Day of Atonement, once a year, they would enter into the Holy of Holies. And they would make a sacrifice for sin in line with God's law for their sin and for the sin of the people. This prayer here, given by Jesus, hours before His beating and death and burial, yes, the resurrection and atonement, called the high priestly prayer because he prays. And unlike the high priest, he didn't have to make sacrifice for his sin. Jesus is holy. He's the Messiah, the promised one of God. Jesus is the sinless one, fulfilled all the demands of the scriptures, all the righteous demands of God. So who did Jesus pray for? He prayed for his disciples, and he prayed for all those who would come to believe from their ministry through the following generations to this day and on. The question that we need to deal with as we look at this prayer is to begin with, we're going to look at the high priest. And then we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at what the high priest prayed for you, believer. And as we do so, I need to ask you very clearly, as though we were just meeting together, I, I want to ask you this question. What do you do with your sin? What do you do with your sin? No one in this room or watching at home needs to be persuaded that they are a sinner. Our conscience bears witness of this. What do you do with your sin? Do you mess up and just say, I'll, I'll try better? I'll try and sin less. What do you do with your sin before a holy and righteous and perfect God? Who are you trusting for forgiveness? As we look first in these first five verses at the high priest, the believer looks at who Jesus is and the unique glory in his being that Jesus is the eternal Son sent from above, fully God, fully man, taking on flesh and dwelling among, among us. That Jesus is of all righteousness. That He, the believer says, He is my priest. Not only is He our priest, but He is our Lamb. The Lamb that would be slain for our sin. We look to Jesus and we look at His confidence and He fulfills all righteousness. The glory that He does, meaning He did everything righteous. It's not just that He didn't sin, it's that everything He did pleased the Lord. Every word that He spoke, He pleased God. Not an idle word ever spoken outside of the hand of the pleasing Father. And the believer, a sinner like you, we look to Jesus and we say, that's our priest. Here He prays for us and He fulfills all righteousness, the glory of God. 
And in Him we have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. To all who believe, regardless of what you've done or been done to you, you are forgiven and made pure by faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's good news. That's why we gather. But oh, what a tragedy to hear John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer this morning, and to be an unbeliever. To sit and to leave and to have the burden upon your heart and the question, what do I do with my sin if you try to be your own priest? You know you'll never match up. You know you won't. But all who look to Christ, we have eternal life in the Son. And what is eternal life? Jesus prays at the very beginning that they know you, Father. And your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom you have said, who do you believe Jesus is? Well, let's look first at who Jesus is. While on earth, we note in the first five verses that Jesus rejoices in the glory He will continue giving the Father, while also looking forward to the glory that the Father will soon restore unto Him. Now, Isaiah chapter 49, verse 3, in the servant songs that we looked at in December, we looked at one of the qualifiers. This is scripture. This is if you're unfamiliar with the Bible. In the book of Isaiah, we have manuscripts written down before Jesus ever came. This is written hundreds of years before the sun would take on flesh and dwell among us. The light into the darkness. And it spoke of the unique qualifiers of the servant. And the servant uniquely will be one who will glorify the Lord. And what does Jesus pray here hours before his giving over to the authorities? He prays that he would glorify the Lord. See, Jesus is the Messiah. Who do you say Jesus is? And this is why we gather on Sunday mornings. We gather and worship the one who is resurrected from the grave, who appeared before men and, and women and spoke with them and ate with them, and he's ascended to heaven. And as Romans said, he intercedes for us, and he's sent the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and dwells not only his disciples before him, but believers today. He's given us and entrusted us with his word. He's transforming our lives in the image of His Son. And this is good news to all who believe. This is the message we proclaim. Jesus really is the Messiah. Who do you say Jesus is? Is He your King? Have you asked Him to forgive you of your sins and to be the Lord of your life? Let today be the day of your salvation if you don't know Christ. And in coming to Christ, you are in the Beloved. And Jesus, in His prayer, we get an insight into what life was like before creation, before and ever an Adam was existed. A single Adam or a married Adam. It's a dad joke of the century and didn't even appreciate it. Single Adam with a married Adam, Adam and Eve. Probably not a good idea to go find right after a very heavy point. But have you ever wondered, what was life like before creation took place? Before anything was created? Before the earth was born? Jesus tells us. He prays. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence. With what? With the glory that I had with you before the world existed. 
before any creation ever took place, the eternal Son, Father, Son, and Spirit, in perfect communion for all eternity. That's the unity of which Jesus prays for the beloved His bride. That they will be united in Him. The forgiven ones, the one marked by grace and life and mercy, proclaiming the goodness of their King, Lord, and Groom, Jesus Christ. That it marks all of our lives. That's the unity that He prayed for the beloved. Jesus calls upon the Father. The hour has come. The hour has come in which He lifted His eyes to the Father. And He prayed to the Father who is the gift giving Father. Yes. God gives good gifts. If there was a gift that you could receive that was from somebody that was all powerful and all knowing and all wise, would you receive that gift? The gift-giving God, the Father, this text says, has gifted the Son with a multitude of gifts. He's given Him a name and authority. He's given Him authority over all flesh. And all whom the Father has given Jesus from out of the unbelieving world, He's given to the Son. Which leads us, beloved. We say, beloved, why? Because you are loved by God in Christ. As believers in Christ, this is our central identity. We are the loved ones. We know the love of God in Christ. We know salvation. We know forgiveness. And this consumes every other identity. Beloved. Loved ones. You are a gift given by the Father to the Son. He didn't look and see something praiseworthy or something attractive or impressive in you. No. He has purchased you. You've been bought with a price. We are not our own. We are a gift the Father has given to the Son from out of an unbelieving world. And so what does Jesus intercede for and pray for the disciples before Him, now the eleven who are scattering very soon? What does He pray for them and what does He pray for you today? Let's look. As you know, secondly, that Jesus prays to His Father on behalf of His beloved bride. Now, before we look at these four components of affection, have you ever had the privilege of hearing somebody that really loved their spouse speak about their spouse and they weren't present? I love it. Roman's going to share with us a little bit more about Adopted Jack. Our church family has got as many couples who have been married for decades and decades. And decades and decades and decades. They are really old. No, I'm just joking. Not at all. But when you're around some of these couples and you see how they love each other and care for each other, and they recognize the Ephesians 5 purpose of marriage that, that the bride would, would, would reflect, that, that the, the bride would literally reflect the bride of Christ. And the groom would, would aim to model Jesus Christ laying his life down for her, serving and protecting and caring for. And you see the love that they have after decades of laying their life down and submitting one to another and, and proclaiming Jesus Christ and building their marriage and life and time and talents and treasures like Christ. And you see that death and you hear how they speak of each other. It's captivating. 
captivated. Once you're here, it's captivated. We here get to hear the loving groom pray for his bride. The Father has gifted to him. Now, certainly, if there was anybody at any point of history that was a more crisis of a greater injustice than this, there is not. But Jesus has spent all the verses praying for his own needs and recognizing the task and the hour before him. He prays for us. He prays for his disciples that he's going to have to physically leave in a matter of hours as he'll be handed over to the authorities. He prays likewise for you. Listen to how he affectionately prays for you. Verses 6 through 10. We note first that, beloved, we are the bride of Jesus. The Father's very gift to the Son, the Son prays for our faithfulness. What a joy it is to be in the bride of Christ. He prays for the faithfulness of his disciples. Look what he said in verse 11. And I am no longer in the world, speaking of what we've seen take place, but they of his disciples, they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, forecasting this eventual death, burial, resurrection, ascension. He says, in this time, time of the death, keep them in your name. Keep them in your name. Our groom is a keeper. And it keeps us. He says that exactly of his disciples. I've lost none that you've given. And he told his disciples, I chose you beforehand just like you chose. And if you're a student, you chose SFA. You chose to come here. And disciples would likewise choose the master that they would follow. And Jesus said to his disciples, I've chosen you from out of the world. And now Jesus tells the Father, I have not lost any of them except the son of perdition, Judas, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. And he is the loving groom of his bride, prays likewise, Father, keep them in your name. Keep them in your name. Now in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 through 23, he gives this marking of who the believers are. He says, I have guarded them, and back in verse 12, I should say, before I read the Colossians 1 text, he says, I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Paul says it in these terms, Colossians 1, 21 through 23, of the bride of Christ, those who stayed from out of the world, stayed out of allegiance to the world and their flesh and sin, who have turned and placed their faith and trust in Jesus. Listen to how he marks them as those who have been marked by the Word of God. In Colossians 1, Paul says it like this, Who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now listen to verse 23. It sounds very much before I read verse 23. Keep in mind what he said in verse 6. They have kept your word. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a minister, the kept keep. The kept keep. So abide in Christ. Believer, you are secure in Christ. You are kept by Him through trials and storms and hardships and anxieties and loneliness. You are kept by Christ. So keep fast to His Word and abide in Him, for you will, but you shouldn't. 
And you must. That's the good news that the Lord's Word gives us. He protects us. He cares for us. It leads us secondly in verse 17. Beloved, verse 13 through 17. Beloved, though we are currently deployed in a hostile world, so the question becomes, how could Jesus, if he prays for our protection, if he prays for the protection of the eleven, how could he leave them in a hostile place? Why, when he ascended, didn't he just ascend with the bride right away? And for you, when you came to faith in Christ, and this room is filled with people that came to faith in Christ as children and young adults and senior adults, all in this room, we came to Christ at different times. So the question is, when you became a believer, why didn't you just ascend to be with the Lord? Why did He leave you here? Why did He deploy you? And here's why. Jesus prays for us to walk so closely with Him by the Word that His joy would flow from within us. That His joy would flow from within us. Look at the in verse 13. But now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy filled in themselves. Tell me about that joy. Look at verse 14. I have given them your word, and the word ha- and, the, uh, and the world has hated them. So he leaves the bride in the world, the unbelieving world. Who he's already said, we looked at last week, hates them. And here he says it again, talking with the Father. I bless them in the world, and, but my joy will flow from within them. That's what he prays for them. That they may have my joy fulfilled themselves. Now, the disciples are many things. But joy-filled would not be one of those. But they're terrified of what's about to happen. We're going to see them in a very short amount of time. They're going to scatter. But listen. They're joyful. As our women's ministry is going to begin to study through Acts in October, we see in the book of Acts the joy of the believers. That the believers are physically beaten. They go back to tell the church and they rejoice. What is going on? Because the joy, what Jesus prayed, is true. Joy is only found truly in Christ. And he prays for his joy in a world filled with counterfeit loves and counterfeit joys. The joy of his disciples, the joy, your joy and my joy, will never come from our circumstances. And though we'll be tempted to find it in relationships and in power and in other people and in pleasures and any other keyword you can put in there, I don't know what else you can say. But we will only find it by the gift that we receive by faith in Jesus. And the world chases after these things. They chase after it as though it's chasing after wind. They'll never catch it. It's vapor. The author of Ecclesiastes says, Joy. The Romans, didn't they have joy? They had all political power. Didn't they have joy? No. The Pharisees, they had all religious power. Didn't they have joy? No. But to the one with much or with little who comes to faith in Christ, his joy is ours, for we have his word within us. And the Word of God, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the Word of our God will stand forever. And so, believer, you have the hope and the good news that every relationship, 
Can you build upon Christ and His Word, hearing and knowing and doing His Word? It will stand regardless of the storms of life. And that's joy. If our soul is required of us this very week, and this is the final week of our life, heaven forbid. But if it is, it is for joy. For we know Christ. And eternal life is knowing Him. The one who has life in Himself. And knowing the Son, Jesus Christ. That's joy. Question, are you tasting joy somewhere else? Even as a believer, are you pursuing joy from someone or something else? You know it's a counterfeit. Settle your ears upon the affectionate words of Jesus. For He prays to you, beloved. Sanctify and set apart this truth sanctifies us and sets us apart. Our lives are actively believers being transformed as a testimony to a world that lives in allegiance against Him and therein hates Christ and hates the Word in us. But the Word is our minds are being renewed. We're being transformed. Transformed. The scent is so powerful. The aroma of Christ. When Sarah and I went through our season of infertility, we would save up for a trip. And so we saved up and we went to Maui. Not like Maui, Texas. There's probably Maui, Texas. There's an everything. There's an everything, Texas. I don't know if you know that. We figured that out when we got here. People were like, I'm going to Paris. Like, That's awesome. Texas is not as awesome as Paris, Texas. But we went to the real Maui. And we were there. Sarah had a perfume that she put on. I never saw it before. And so just this past week, she was close enough for me to smell, and I smelled that smell again for the first time since many years ago. And right away, I said out loud, Maui, that smell transported me from our home with two wild little boys running around, transported us to Maui. By faith in Jesus Christ, we are transformed into the image of the Son from the first Adam in the fall. Our lives are being transformed and He deploys us in love to the world. And the aroma of Christ goes in which people who know you as you know Christ, their life begins to be transformed more and more to who you actually are as when He's already been adopted and forgiven. But now your life actually begins to look more and more like Christ. People who know you begin to look at you and say, you look different. You look like Christ. And in this way, Jesus is parading His bride before the world. It, yes, announces their defeat, but announces the glory of the gift He's received from the Father. That's transformation. That's good news. Life by the Word of God. Life. Eternal life and abundant life by faith in the Son, the one in whom we trust. We don't trust in our faith of the Son. We trust in the Son and His work. We abound in hope and we abound in joy. And this is what Jesus prays. And it leads us to go forward in verses 18 through 21. Third, that, beloved, remember this. Jesus has made us holy before God. 
holy and sent us into the world to effectively testify to His redeeming love. Somebody said it before, very catchy. Saved ones are sent ones. Saved ones are sent ones. He's rescued us and He's deployed us into the world to testify. How do we know this? And why do we say effectively testify? Well, look what will happen. Look at verse 19. We just told us that He has sent His disciples into the world. Verse 19, and for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified, set apart in truth. I do not ask for those only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. All believers. Through the generations. So why, at the end of verse 21, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's how we know the testimony will be true. And will be transformative and will be effective. The Word of God does not return void. And the Word bearers who God sends into the world, their work is not in vain. The world strives for joy and love and its false love, and that is vanity. The Word of God and the true love of God that we know in Christ, that is not in vanity. That is effective and powerful. So what kind of transformation are we speaking of? Look in your Bibles over to Ephesians 4. Really much of the high priestly prayer we see flavors of it in Ephesians chapter 4 and 5. But look at Ephesians 4 verse 17. If, you're, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab a T-back Bible. It's page 978. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. He asks for us, as you flip there, Jesus prays that we... May all be one, just as you, Father, and, and me, Jesus, and I and you, that they also may be in us, so that we would be in Christ. And this makes a lot of sense when you just think about If we were to paint, we would say, that's not a very Christ-like thing to do. <laughs> that's not a very Christ-like. That paints a picture so this aspect of transformation, what does it mean that we're united? We'll talk about this a little bit more as we look at the final verses in just a moment. But it's not that we're uniform. It's not that we all look the exact same. We listen to the same exact music. We like the exact same thing. It's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is a unifying testimony. It's the same Lord, the same salvation, the same gospel in our lives as we're saved from a multitude of sin backgrounds and allegiances to this world. Our lives are being transformed into Christ's likeness. In Ephesians 4, Paul paints this picture very well. This is the type of unity. Unity of identity and purpose. Verse 17. Ephesians 4, verse 17. Here we go. Now this I say in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Remember this, Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles were known as pagans. The whole, that's people from all over the world that live by their own pleasures and desires, not by pleasing the Lord. So he uses that as shorthand. So you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Listen, that's our stories before we came to know Christ. As a six-year-old who came to know Christ, I, I didn't have this wild life, but I definitely did not live by the way of Christ. I didn't know Jesus. 
I didn't know God. You love God, and you know God. And so when you came to life from a radical transformation, you came to life in Christ as one who, by the grace of God growing up, hearing the gospel regularly, you simply believe and love Jesus and know His affections. That's God's gracious testimony as well. This is our lives before we came to know Christ. And look what he tells in verse 20. This is the same transformation. We're united in our transformations. But that in that that is not, by the way of the world, that's not how you learn Christ. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him, i.e. you were, so. And the truth is in Jesus. To do what? To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the people's desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So from depraved and corrupted our minds to renewed minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, what's our life look like? Having put away falsehood, let each one of us seek the truth of his neighbor. For we are members of one another. The bride are members of one another. Because we're bound by Christ. This is the unity. The unity of forgiven and pure and holy identity we've received in Christ and unity of mission of going and sharing and showing the love of God. So look what he says. He gives us some examples. Verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the dove. One who destroys and scatters. Let the peace no longer steal. Now, before many people come to Christ, they think religion or church is about not doing bad things or not doing as many bad things. So the thief might try to steal less. Or you know what? They might try to not steal at all. That's a good man-made religion. But not the gospel. Not God's Word. Not the story of Scripture. Here's the transformation that takes place in the life of the believer. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. This is the transformation that comes from one who knows Christ. He saves us all from different adjectives that we would put in that describe who we were before we knew Christ. And there are lives. He's transforming us. So the thief goes from one who no longer thought that he doesn't steal, but now he goes to say, I want to get a job, not simply so I can provide for myself and pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I want to work so that I can give to others so I can be benevolent in my life and I can show the love of God through resources I'm able to work and pour my life out to honor Christ. That's the transformation. That's the united transformation. What about the way we speak to each other? Look at verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth but only what is good for building up. That's just the occasion. Let it may give grace to those who are here. So it's not just about not cursing, or it's not just about not slandering or lying, but it's about speaking in a way that's bringing life to others. That's the transformation of our unity we have in Christ. This is so good. Verse 30. And then I breathe the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. So it's the Holy Spirit that's working these things out in our lives to be abide in Christ. For the day of redemption, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and, sl- clamor and slander all be put away from you along with all malice be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgive you. If He's talking to you at first body, 
And he tells them, forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. What's the assumption that's going to happen in the church body? We're going to sin against each other a little bit. We make a choice to either reconcile and let it be used by the devil for division, or we reconcile with people that are being transformed by the work of the Spirit, by the work of God in us. Does that make sense? So next week, here's a teaser on our first next step. Next week, the last Sunday of the month, we always observe the Lord's Supper together. The last Sunday of the month. Now, I want you to imagine, if you will, that you had a beef with the person beside you. Let's say you offended me. You sinned against the person that's sitting directly beside you. Don't look around. Some of you are like, this is hitting home. You should have heard what we said on the way here. If you were to go to dinner next Sunday and you couldn't get out of it, how awkward would that be if you went a whole week go by without reconciling? So through the gift of the Lord's Supper, not only proclaims the Lord's death until He comes, that we have been forgiven and we're hidden in Christ in this new covenant made by His blood, forgiven by His broken body and shed blood for us, the giving of His life as we're partakers by grace, in this Thanksgiving meal, so too the local body has a time of reconciliation and unity because we're forced to say, as He has forgiven me, I want to show grace and to forgive you. This is the beautiful testimony that takes place. And Paul says it with the capitalization in verse 2 of chapter 5, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself for us, for us a fragrant offering. Which leads us into this unity of holiness and mission. This is the glory of God. In verses 22 through 26. Beloved, we are marked by a belief in, a testimony to, and a possession of the love of God that is found by faith in Christ. So trust in Christ alone. This makes us unified not only with one another, but with Jesus Christ forever. Forever. The great brother that I love and serve with Back in Missouri, he was great saying. If he was offended by somebody or somebody offended him, he said, Well, I might as well forgive him because we're going to have to work it out in heaven anyway. And he's an unbelievably gracious brother. Love people, loves the gospel. I don't know what your future holds exactly. None of us know what 24 holds tomorrow. None of us know what the rest of the week holds. Laura or Marco holds. The storms are going to come up this far. Who knows? The path. But we do know is what Jesus prays for you, beloved. What Jesus prays for you. He prays that you will be with Jesus where He is. To see His glory that the Father has given to Him. Because the Father loved Him before the foundation of the world. We see in the high priestly prayer not only what it was like before the foundation and creation of the world, and the glorious communion of the triune God, and perfect, glorifying, overflowing love, but we see also our future level in Christ. And we will be with Him forever, together as the bride of Christ. That's the good news we have to proclaim. That's the good news we build our life on. 
What are next steps that leads us to the first question? As we think about the fact that Jesus here, he prayed for you and another believer, perhaps, that you are struggling to forgive. Jesus, all the things before him, he took time to pray for you and that other believer who's come to believe that you may have a grudge that you've not reconciled. So how does that freeze? Minister to your heart this morning. Forgiveness and making peace and, and going to God with it. Doing all you can do to seek reconciliation that way, but confess it and release it over to the Lord. What does that truth do in your heart? Bitterness to be used of the evil one to separate and fragment and to fracture local bodies. The goodness of the love of God that we know in Christ is freeing and redeeming and a testimony to a world that revels in bitterness and fractions. So, believe secondly, as believers, we are marked by the love of God and commission to share and show the love of God with others. So, you pray for courage this week to pray for others, to encourage others, to start a conversation, ask just a simple question, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? And just as the Lord intercedes for us and will for us in high priestly prayer, would you look for opportunities this week and pray that God would give you opportunities this week to intercede for others that you see in your life, in your classes, in your commutes, wherever you're at. Look for opportunities to intercede. Pray that God would be made much of for His glory. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us before we respond in song. Oh Lord, we love you. We thank you that the greatest thing we can have in life is to know you and to rest in you. God, there is no accident that we are alive, that we're placed here in this county in 2020. Would you give us boldness to believe these things that Christ said of us? So, Father, I pray if anyone this morning does not know you as King, that today will be their day of salvation. They would repent and place their trust in you. To be understanding to declare you publicly as their King. Lord, help us to rest in and to walk out the faith you've given us in this gift of eternal life of knowing you. We do love you. We sing this song over one another as well as we aim to live a life of response to you. It's in Christ's name all God's people said together. Amen. Just stand with me, church Bible.